Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Recently, I met a Boston police officer whose t-shirt read, God gave his angels weapons, because even the Almighty knows you don't fight evil with tolerance and understanding. Now, without arguing the theology of that comment, It was an interesting thought, and an interesting discussion ensued. He said, police officers deal in facts. He said, Jesus Christ is God. That's a fact. And I was telling him, well, pastors deal in facts too. So what are some of the facts? Fact. At the beginning of every Barah Ministries Bible lesson, you get to hear facts about your God, about the Word of God, and facts about God's enemy. I was uh, talking to a lady recently who doesn't think that the Bible is the actual Word of God. And, you know, whenever I hear stuff like that, my head comes off. These facts are weapons for you in the spiritual warfare you face every day. The Lord warns His believers through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Be strong in union with the Lord, believers in Christ. Be strong in the strength of his might. Ephesians 6.11 Pick up and put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Paul, when he wrote that verse, was chained to a Roman guard. And so every day he got to see the Roman guard pick up and put on all of the things that are protection against enemies, Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle as believers in Christ is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against human beings. Our struggle is against supernatural enemies, against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this dark world. Yes, Satan has a demon army, and he uses that demon army to neutralize believers in Christ. Our struggle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Fact, at Barah Ministries, we worship a triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We worship the one and only God who expresses himself to mankind as three separate, distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. Fact. God the Father is the author of the triune Godhead's plan for all creatures. And since he is a father, believers in Christ are his children. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, But as many as received the invitation from Jesus to be saved, to them Jesus gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus' name. Our loving Father is a comfort to his children. He offers us his person, his plan, his provision, his protection, his pardon, his presence, and his promises. Earthly fathers do the same, but they aren't always appreciated by people in the world. But in God's eyes, they're invaluable. Fact, God the Son, whom we call the Lord, volunteered to execute the Father's plan for mankind. And when we were spiritually dead from the moment of physical birth, we were separated from a relationship with God with no way to redeem ourselves. The Lord volunteered to fix our problems. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say this, For God the Father rescued us believers in Christ from the domain of darkness, the domain of spiritual death. And he transferred us to the kingdom of the Son whom God the Father loves, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.14 The Christ, the Jewish Messiah, in whom we have redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. The Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us, purchasing us from slavery to sin by his sacrifice at the cross, washing our sins away with his own blood, and restoring us to the possibility of a relationship with the entire Godhead. Jesus Christ is God, and at Barah Ministries, it's our pleasure to worship him. Fact, God the Holy Spirit is our mentor and teacher, and he is the rudder of the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, a reminder, Or do you believers in Christ not know? that your body is a temple of God the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you, whom you have as a gift from God the Father. First Corinthians six twenty, For you, believers in Christ, have been bought with a price. What's the price? Jesus Christ's blood. Therefore glorify God in your body. An omnipresent God, the Holy Spirit, goes everywhere we go, indwelling us to direct us and to protect us. Fact. To learn about the God we worship, we study his word. I was told this week by people who claim to be Christians that the Bible is just a bunch of stories written by men, and the stories have changed throughout the years, so the Bible is not to be taken literally. That's a lie. But if it were true, I wonder how they know. I mean, have they been around through the years? I don't think they have. So they're listening to some false teacher with false teaching. And as we have studied Colossians and Galatians, everybody's going, yeah, I get your point, Rory. It's the false teachers. What's the false teaching? Well, this is what they do. This is what they do. They convince people who 
claim to be believers in Christ, but they're really religious, not interested in a relationship with Christ. They don't know Christ. And what happens? They're going to go to the lake of fire. That's what happens. When the Lord says that there is a broad road that leads to destruction, he means it. He's omniscient, so he knows that that's what happens. And there are a bunch of people walking around who think they have all the answers in the Christian way of life. But they're calling themselves Lutherans, but they're Christians. They're calling themselves Catholics, but they're Christian. They're calling themselves Methodists, but they're Christian. They're calling themselves Unitarity, Unitarian, but they're Christian. They call themselves Mormon, but they're Christian. It's a crock. Christianity is Christianity. And what is Christianity? It's a relationship with Christ. It's not Lutheranism. It's not Catholicism. It's not Methodistism. It's not any of those isms. All that religious stuff is Satan's strategy against the human race. And what he's trying to do is to make you indifferent or antagonistic to God. And these are people in our periphery. These are people we care about every day who have that crap going on in their head. Why? Because they're listening to false teachers and false teachers. And that's no joke. And the older I get, the more it hurts to be exposed to people who have that as a predicament. And this lady was telling me, I think we're really close. No, we're not. Do you think there's a lake of fire? No, we're not close. There's definitely a lake of fire, and the Bible describes it a whole bunch of places, but of course, those are just a bunch of stories. Absolutely, it's cafeteria Christianity. Pick and choose what you want. No, you don't get to pick and choose. At Barah Ministries, we listen to God's viewpoint about the Word of God and how it helps us as Christians. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world. And there are three ways that the forces of darkness try to conform us. Is Satan trying to conform us? He's after the really big people, the real big threats to his uh, program. Put that verse up, Danny. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Do not be conformed to this world by Satan, by his cosmic system of thought, and by the flesh resident in you. Instead, keep on being transformed by God the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By studying the Word of God. And I'm telling you this. You can't study the Word of God once a week and think you got it down. You need this every day. Every day. If you have to listen to the same lesson every day for seven days, listen to the same lesson every day for seven days because you'll hear something different every time. Romans 12, 2, the other half. So that you may see clearly through the testing of experience what the will of God is. And the will of God is that which is good for you, that which is acceptable to him, and that which is perfect in result. That's how our God works. The Bible doesn't need to be interpreted. We simply use the Bible to learn God's perspective on every issue of life because the Bible contains His exact thinking. 
And as we keep on studying the Bible, we develop a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire Godhead. Fact, something easily forgotten by most Christians, is that God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period of time. As a pastor, anyone who's out to hurt you is my enemy too. And the Lord describes Satan well in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy the sheep. But I, the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, came so that believers in Christ may have the resurrection life, eternal life, and they may have it abundantly. Sun Tzu, one of the great warriors of all time, in the art of war said, if you know yourself and you know your enemy, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. How many Christians know their enemy? Not many. I'd say 70% of Christians don't know their enemy. That's pathetic. Do you know how Satan operates? Do you study his movements? Do you notice how he attacks your person? Or are you like most Christians who don't even acknowledge that he exists? At the beginning of every Barah Ministries lesson, I follow the Apostle Peter's advice and stir you up by way of reminding, reminder about your God, about his word, and about your enemy. Or as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, to write the same things again and again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. So don't ever become casual as you hear over and over again three very important lessons every week about God, about his word, and about your enemy. Because these facts are weapons in your fight against evil. Today's Bible lesson, whose burden in the church needs the most bearing? Whose burden in the church needs the most bearing? Well, in a commentary on his military campaign against the Gauls, Julius Caesar proclaimed, Gallia es omnis divisa in partes tres. Gallia es omnis divisa in partes tres. Now, I took six years of Latin, so that's why I repeated that, because I don't get to use what I learn very often. But that's one of the first things I learned to translate in Latin class. Gaul is a whole divided into three parts. Little did I know in high school that one day I would be teaching a biblical letter directed to the Galatians, because the Galatians are the people in the Gaul region. It's a Celtic people from Central Europe. And today, we continue our study of the final chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Chapter 6 is a whole, divided into three parts. And today, we'll study part 2, which teaches us about a person in the church whose burden needs the most bearing. Then, as we do every month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, a joyful and sorrowful celebration. Well, let's hear some music. Sometimes life gets heavy, and especially during the holidays. And this has been a heavy year for many in our small congregation. As a reminder, our Lord says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord's yoke is easy.
and his burden is light. Here's gateway worship to remind you where to cast your burden. Cast it on the Lord.
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the things you allow in our lives that shape our character. They're not always pleasant, but you make them profitable because we know you always work all things together for our good. Thank you for providing God the Holy Spirit as our mentor and teacher who leads us into all the truth, especially the truth of this lesson today. Thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross to guarantee our so great salvation. Thanks for reminding us of the significance of what he did for us through the Lord's Supper celebration. Help us to apply what we learn to the circumstances you keep on bringing into our lives. Open our spiritual eyes so we can see your hand and everything going on in our lives. And help us feel the compassion you feel for the unbelievers in our periphery so we can bring the gospel message to them, the good news concerning what your son did to save them. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, whose burden in the church needs the most bearing? Whose burden in the church needs the most bearing? Well, as we learned in today's lesson introduction, Galatians chapter 6 is a whole, divided into three parts. And in the first part of Galatians chapter 6, we learned that we are our brother's keeper. The Lord wants us to treat each other well. Let's remember the first passage, which extends from Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 5, it says this, Let us believers in Christ not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. What are we going to do instead? We're going to love one another. The first four chapters of Galatians are doctrinal, but the last two chapters are, okay, here's what you do. And one of the big themes of Galatians 5 and 6 is, Hey, believers in Christ, love one another. Don't be paying attention to the false teachers and their false teaching and try to turn Christianity into a religion. Don't do that. Instead, love one another. Don't be backbiting each other. Galatians 6.1. Brethren, that's believers in Christ. Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each looking to himself so that you too will not be tempted. I can't tell you how many times over the last quarter of a century, 25 years, people have realized that I'm not perfect. Holy smoke, my pastor's not perfect. My pastor's a human being. 
And then rather than handling anything that bothered them, like the Bible suggests, they just leave. The transactional people. I call them the Starbucks green straw people. What do they do? They put their straw in you, they use you, and when they don't like what's coming through the straw, they leave. You can't have a relationship with a transactional person. It's not available. But what is Galatians 6.1 saying? It's saying, when you find out that somebody's human, go to them, see if you can help them out. That's what I do. When you guys come to me and tell me all the problems that you're going through, you think I don't see through all the things that you're doing that are off base? So what am I going to do? Oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be having premarital sex anyway. Oh, well, I think that you're screwing this up and that up. I'm not going to do that. I understand when I look at you that you're a human being and that you do stupid stuff. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to love you. I'm going to let you know, look, just don't forget how the Lord looks at you. How the Lord looks at you is with unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. And that's why I have a group of friends who are so comfortable coming to me and telling me all of the maladies that are part of their lives because they know I'm not going to judge them. That's what this verse is talking about. That people in our periphery need to know that whether they're right or whether they're wrong or whether they're good or that whether they're bad, they're supported. You know, we're not, we're not doing Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's the transactional people's theme song. That's not the relationship person's theme song. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. There's the Mosaic law, but there's the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Unconditional love. The Beatles had it right. All you need is love. Galatians 6 3. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And that's what people are really good at doing. They're really good at seeing the flaws of others and ignoring their own flaws. They're really good at seeing a speck of sawdust in their brother or sister's eye and not noticing the telephone pole that's in their own eye. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. But each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting regarding himself alone and not in regard to another. What does that mean exactly? What it means is, how did Michael Jackson put it? I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. You want to make the world a better place? Take a look at yourself and make a change. Because that's what you have control over. You could change yourself, but you can't change other people. So what is relationship all about? It's knowing who people are, knowing who people aren't, and loving them anyway. Those are the people that I love being around. Those are the people that I love being in relationship with. 
and I spent way too much of my time in interactions with transactional people trying my best to turn it into a relationship when it was never going to be that way. And when you call the transactional people out, they go, oh, well, let me tell you all the things that are wrong with you. I already know all the things that are wrong with me. You don't have to help me with that. But are you looking at you? Galatians 6, 5. For each one will bear his own load. What does that mean? That means that one day we're all going to be sitting in front of Jesus Christ. And he's going to ask us, what would you do with the gifts I gave you? What's your answer? You're not going to be able to con him. He created you. He's omniscient. He's seen everything you've ever done. He knows your heart. You're not going to be able to con him, so what's your story going to be? So, that first part of Galatians, chapter 6, how do we handle Christians who are damaging themselves through some sin? We make room in our hearts to be other-centered. It's the opposite of what Cain did with his brother Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9 says this, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Well, he's dead, because I killed him. I spilled his blood all over the ground. He didn't want to say that, so what did he do? He became a smart ass. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You're talking to the omniscient God. You think he doesn't know what you did? <laughs> It was like Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you guys? You know, like Jesus was confused somehow. Like he didn't know where they were. He knew where they were. He knew what they were doing. He knew what they had done. Cain had killed his brother. We have people we care about in our periphery. People who are caught in Satan's web of deception. People caught up in a host of sins. And they need people to help them gain perspective. They need to know that they're supported even when they're wrong, just as the Lord supports all of us. And isn't it awful that you can have people who you love, you can have people who you want a relationship with, who are so fixated on your inadequacies that they can't have a relationship with anyone. And you know what, frankly, it extends to them not even being able to have a relationship with themselves. So are you your brother's keeper? Are you there with a heart of compassion for people who need it? We need to look for ways to lessen the burdens of those around us, especially those burdened by the sins that so easily entangle all of us. As the kind of Christians God wants, we are our brother's keeper. Well, in part two of Galatians chapter six, which we're going to study today, we learn of a specific person who needs us to lessen his burden. But before we learn about him, I'd like you to reflect on something I'll show you, uh, on something. I'll show you a verse, Galatians chapter six, verse seven, which is a verse you've seen and heard many times. And as you listen to it, what comes to mind? 
What is the message this verse is sending? Here it is. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. If you're in a good position to do so, write your thoughts about what this verse brings to mind. Here's another verse to give some thought to. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, I ran this by a couple people. And, you know, once again, what I want you to do if you're in a position to do it is to write your thoughts about what this verse brings to mind. But I ran these two verses by people. And these are two of the favorite verses of legalistic pastors who love taking the verses out of context to make us feel guilty. Today, you'll get to see these verses in context, and you'll learn the message they're really sending. But that first one, 6-7, what a man sows, he shall also reap. You know, what's the first thing that comes to mind? You know, some of the people I talked to said, well, I'm thinking, I'm sinning, so I'm sowing sin, and what am I going to reap on the other end? It's going to be horrible for me. Okay, and what about 6-8? Well, it's the same thing, uh, but only this time it's, you know, I think part of the verse is talking to unbelievers and the other part is talking to believers. All right, well, that's what happens when we're victims of pastors who are taking everything out of context to beat the crap out of us so we will give more money to buy our way into God's affection. But what you're going to learn today in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, is going to shock you about what these verses actually mean in context. All right, so let's look at the passage, Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Here's what it says. It says, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. They want to see that, Benny. <laughs> Don't miss this one. This is the, this is the mother load, dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Benny said he's already shocked. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For every man sows, this he will also reap. Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time, we will reap if we don't grow weary. Galatians 6.10, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially to other Christians, the family of believers. Well, the theme of the first passage continues into the second passage by recommending that if we're going to bear the burdens of others, 
A good place to start is in the church. The best place to start is with the pastor and then with the others who serve the church. So let's examine the second passage verse by verse. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches them. In other words, as congregation members, as people who are listening to a pastor teach the word, you have an obligation to support that pastor financially. An obligation. Martin Luther, the German reformer, hated teaching this passage. He said, I don't find much pleasure in explaining this passage because it benefits the teacher. I don't like speaking for my own benefit. Well, the Lord wants teachers to speak for their own benefit because I will tell you that for the first 10 years I was ordained, I didn't take a salary. That's flat out stupid. Deacon Denny has been a deacon at Barah Ministry since he was two years old, and he doesn't get a salary. And you want to talk about somebody who's faithful, this guy is faithful to the max. And Denise supports this ministry financially, keeps us afloat financially. She doesn't get a salary. But that's not what the Lord ordains. That's not what he wants. He wants the pastor to be supported by the people who are benefiting from the pastor's message. But believers in Christ's brains are all goofed up about that. Recently, I saw a a message from a pastor's son saying that pastors don't need to be paid. He said they should work for their money like Paul did, making tents. (laughs) There's not a lot of money in making tents. I'm sorry about my voice. It's horrible. This is absolutely not the Lord's viewpoint. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. Here's what the Lord has to say about it. But we request of you, brethren, believers in Christ, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and who have charge over you in the Lord and who give you instruction. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 And that you esteem them very highly in unconditional love because of their work. So what does that mean? Pay the pastor. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 say this, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. First Timothy 5.18, for the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. That means treading out the grain. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. So let me explain that. So farmers who were harvesting wheat, the wheat has a hard shell around it, and inside is the payoff part. So what they would do is they would spread all this wheat on the ground, and they would have oxen trample the wheat to crack the outer shell so that they could get to the inner part. And the inner part was where the profit was. 
Well, oxen are pretty smart, right? So they say, hey, I don't mind doing this work, but I'm hungry. Amen? Amen? The oxen get hungry. So they start eating the insides of the wheat. And so what would these guys do? They would put a muzzle on the oxen so he couldn't eat. That's cold, amen? (laughs) Well, there's the analogy, right? The analogy is that the pastor is threshing out the wheat, sitting in a chair, cutting off the circulation to his feet 20 hours or so a week writing and preparing a lesson, researching, writing, and preparing a lesson, and then people don't want to pay him. But we don't mind paying Starbucks for our grande latte, cappuccino, mocha, 15 strawberry pump. We don't mind paying Starbucks. We don't expect to get something for nothing from Starbucks. So according to the Lord, those who preach the gospel should receive their living from preaching the gospel. There's no way that I could receive a living that would pay my bills by doing Brahm Ministries. There's no way. And hopefully over the next three years, that's going to change. Because I have plans to make a change. But for now, that's not the case. I have to work. But the Lord says the workman is worthy of his hire. That's a direct quote from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus thinks preaching the word of God is a vocation. And since services are being rendered, the Lord thinks that those services should be compensated. Those whose work Those who work deserve their pay. So adequate compensation for pastors is fitting. People don't expect something for nothing from Starbucks, but that same attitude doesn't apply to the church and to a pastor. There's an ethical and practical obligation for congregation members to give when they're being taught the Word of God because... When you give, you're giving to the work of the Lord. And this thought is straight from the Lord. It's not from Rory. Through satanic inspiration, there's always attack on the financial aspects of the ministry. You have to meet in a building. We pay $2,300 a month for the meeting place where we are right now. You need a budget. Well, this is about a $60,000 ministry. So we can't spend 90 paying the pastor and church staff. The pastor gets paid $400 a week. The church staff gets paid in gifts. Doing marketing. We haven't really done that. This year is the first year we even thought about it. And to be frank, you know, somebody told me one time, Barah Ministries is never going to grow. Okay, well, maybe it won't, but why won't it grow? It won't grow because the pastor is busy researching, studying, and teaching, and the pastor isn't an expert in marketing, and the pastor isn't going to now take 20 hours to do marketing 
and 20 hours to do preparing the lessons while having to be in a career too. Can't do it. But the person with the big mouth who said, well, broad ministry is not going to grow. Okay, well, why don't you do something to make it grow? Why don't you set up a social media account and lead people right into our difficult-to-find location? Instead of talking, instead of coming every week and eating the grain, but not expecting that you have to pay the pastor or make a contribution or give your time, talent, and treasure. That's not how churches grow. That's not how you disseminate the word of God. So the realities of having a ministry involves money. It involves finances. Why is it that you would would not begrudge Starbucks having a budget and paying people, but you would begrudge a church doing that? It's just stupid. And it's Satan-inspired because Satan doesn't want churches except religious churches, who, by the way, there's nothing better than getting a religious person into your congregation because they flat-out pay. Amen? I mean, they're shocking. But for most Christians, mm -mm. now, here's the problem. Tele-evangelists abuse church finances, and that makes it tough for everybody. I was uh, dreaming this week, and God told me that if I don't have a $7 million plane by the end of the year, that the devil has infiltrated our ministry. Then what happens? $7 million. Do you know how stupid that makes me feel? It does. It makes me feel stupid. Like, why am I teaching that tithing isn't biblical? Why am I teaching that? Why don't I just tell you, hey, if you don't give 10% of your money to the church, you're going to hell. Why don't I just teach that? Because there are a lot of people teaching that, and they're getting bank. I think that's ridiculous. But it happens. All right, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, now in context. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will weep. <laughs> they will mount up on ings like weagles. <laughs> Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Well, agricultural analogy. You sow in January, you reap in December. When we give to a ministry and to a pastor, we're sowing and reaping. That's what this verse is talking about. When you sow finances, when you sow love, when you sow the gospel message, when you sow the word of God into someone's heart, what is reaped? And when do you see it? 
You always see it immediately. I remember evangelizing to a young woman on a plane for three hours, and 15 years later, she told me she was a Christian. Dang yom. That's a long time. Sowing is supporting the work of the Lord. Most of us want to sow and reap in the same day. That's not how it really works. But that's not. So when it's time to reap the harvest, from our sowing. We don't often connect the blessings of the harvest to our sowing because reaping may happen a year or two after the sowing. Christians support the work of the Lord by sowing financial support which helps the pastor stay focused on his primary job, researching, studying, teaching, and praying. God is not mocked. When you don't give, he notices. That's not a reason for guilt. That's not a reason for a feeling of condemnation. It just calls for you to adjust your thinking. Those who sow to help the pastor financially are building their house on the rock. When you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And that's the problem with most Christians. They don't understand, why is my life so unfulfilled and why don't I have much? Well, what are you sowing? If you're not sowing, you aren't going to reap. If you put one seed of corn in the ground and expect to have a whole uh, 10 acres of corn production, that's not how it works. It's not going to happen. So when you sow abundantly, you reap abundantly. So in giving, think abundance, not scarcity. I had a guy who uh, carries suitcases tell me uh, recently, he said, people are just, just funny to me. They'll have you carry their bags, and their bags are heavy. These are 50, 60-pound bags, and you're all bent over, and he got this face that made me laugh like crazy. And then they give you one or two dollars balled up. And you just think, what are you doing? If you give money to me, it's going to come back to you. What are you doing? He understood. He got a bigger tip from me that made me mad, but that's beside the point. Oh, yeah, he hooked me in. (coughs) So, in giving, think abundance, not scarcity. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says this, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If you give, what do you think God's going to do for you? You already know. He's going to multiply it multiple times. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 in context. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. When you sow to the wind, you reap the tornado. 
investing only in yourself doesn't really fulfill the law of Christ. Take, take, take doesn't really fulfill the law of Christ. Those who sow to selfishness reap selfishness. Not sharing, not serving is not productive. The Lord wants us to not deny self as he did. The Lord wants us to pick up our cross and follow him. When we sow to the Spirit, we reap the resurrection life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. For whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, the Lord says, will find it. Sowing to the Spirit is hard work. Picking up your cross is hard work. It means overlooking offenses, forgiving, offering mercy, and tolerating things you don't want to tolerate without fainting in the soul. The hindrance to sowing to the Spirit is giving up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, So let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. I have a friend who is a phenomenal father and just doesn't get the respect that he deserves. How often do you see that? A lot. And you could see he gets weary with that. You know, it's when, you, when you're not getting fed the love and affection that you want, it, it gets wearying. But what is he doing? He's sowing into his kids, sowing into his wife, sowing. And what's going to happen on the other end? Reap, 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 uh, an abundant crop. And everybody's going to be standing around looking at it like, how did that happen? Man, he's lucky. No, not lucky. You weren't there when he was giving all that and getting the crap pounded out of him. Giving without getting is hard. Yet we are to keep on being a blessing as God gives us the opportunity. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us believers in Christ do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, the family of Christians, the family of believers. So, in context, The first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 6 paint a picture of a spiritually mature Christian. The mature help carry the burdens of others to all who are of the household of faith, but especially the pastors, so that they can do the work God has called them to do without having to worry about every nuance of a ministry. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Take a five-minute break. <laughs> Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other, not quite. Will all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Whose Burden in the Church Needs the Most Bearing? Well, the pastor, of course. You know, a friend of mine, speaking of Starbucks, a friend of mine spends $300 a month at Starbucks. That's $3,600 a year. And I'm not sure what Starbucks does with that $3,600 a year, but ministries can provide the world with a lot of resources that invite people to salvation for a contribution like that. As you evaluate your own approach to giving, it would be interesting to compare your investment in the world with your investment in the furtherance of God's work and the uh, financial well-being of the ministry that you are part of. However, evaluate without guilt because the Lord loves cheerful givers who give without coercion. Just consider your intention in the matter of giving to a ministry. As the tax year ends, it's a great time to consider a tax-deductible contribution to Barab Ministries as we prepare to disseminate the gospel message in the face of the challenges coming up in the new year. Help us out. I know in Arizona, I'm going to give you some detail about this in a, in a newsletter, but in Arizona, if you donate $800 to a ministry, and I don't know whether that's the current year amount, but if you give $800 to a ministry, $800 comes right off your taxes. So it's as if you, it has a, a zero net effect to you, but it has an $800 positive effect to the ministry. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offerings. Good morning. Good morning. I'm, my name is Denny, and I'm a Christian. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm proud to be a Christian serving as a deacon at Bra Ministries. It's a place for real people that come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And apparently I'm a Christian that needs to learn how to sew as well. My grandma was a good sewer. She could do blankets and jackets and all kinds of good stuff, but I never had that skill, so really have to work on that, apparently. <laughs> But it's, it's interesting to me how pastor's lesson and my offering kind of merged together on the topics, and it was completely unplanned. Because just looking in the world, you can tell people need help, you know, everywhere, especially now. And it's really easy to get, you know, caught up in your own self and your own problems. And you see in the Bible, it says Philippians, Philippians 2.4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also look out for the interests of others very simple but you take that to another level you know we often look at that as I need to help somebody with their problems which is true you definitely need to help them with their problems you know anything they have going on in their life and their issues but you need to be a friend and a helper and that goes more than that it goes to their dreams what about their dreams what about their aspirations it doesn't just stop at helping them take their dog for a walk when they're hurt or sick you know what about going further like pastor's dreams we're talking about today and then more importantly than their dreams what about their spiritual life that's ultimately why we help people, is to get them that far, to get them across the finish line, the free gift of grace from Christ. So it's really easy to, to think about things in self, and this lesson's amazing how you're talking about reaping, and we always think of reaping for ourselves and our own, our own good. But why not self and the church? Bring it all along. 
and that's really where you're going to reap the most. That's amplifying your, your reaping from sowing. <laughs> and so thank you for all of you guys for sowing so much to this church and giving so much, Pastor, and I wish we could have paid you so much more over the years. And I'm playing scratchers and lottery tickets all the time, but apparently I need to learn how to sew, and then I'm going to do better at that. So here's your chance to sew, and it's time to uh, give Pastor a warm year-end finish with lots of sewing. <laughs> so hit it, Denise. Thank you. Welcome back. It's going to be the Lord's Supper celebration. Celebrating the Lord's Supper brings joy and sorrow. Celebrating the Lord's Supper brings joy and sorrow. So, Deacon Denny, um, I, I am really sorry that you went to an inferior college and that they didn't teach you that sewing is spelled S-O-W, not S-E-W. You know, at Northwestern, you know, we took vocabulary and spelling and all that, and I'm just sorry that that did not happen at the University of Iowa. That's all right. But I did wear a gold tie today with black in it just to honor the University of Iowa, and I think what I'm going to do is find ways for them to help their graduates with spelling. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Needle and thread. I remember that when I was a kid, my mom taught me how to sew, and holy smoke. I actually want to learn. I want a sewing machine. I actually want to learn how to use a sewing machine. But anyway, welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration. Our God commands in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, keep on doing this Lord's Supper celebration in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper gives us time to focus on our relationship with the Lord. As we remember the Lord, let's relax. Let's notice his very present influence in our lives. And let's reflect on the things that he has done for us, especially his work on the cross on our behalf. Somebody asked me this week, 
Have you ever had, do you ever have a crisis of faith? No. You're the first person I've ever met that doesn't have a crisis of faith, doesn't doubt. I said, okay, well, I've been studying the Word of God for over 20,000 hours. And there's something strange that happens when you do that, in that it's, and it's that you start believing the promises that God is, is making. Because He makes the promises and you see Him come through in your life. So what is it exactly that I have to doubt? Now, if, if I'm honest with you, you know, if I, Satan through the flesh plants the seed, oh, but what if you aren't a Christian? And what if you go to the lake of fire? And that would be horrible as far as I'm concerned. And do I think about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think about that kind of stuff, mainly because I have a lot of friends who think about that, and they're always telling me, you know, I'm a believer, but what if? It's like, okay, why do I have to listen to this? But, no, I don't have any crisis of faith because I know what Jesus Christ did at the cross for me. He built a bridge that allowed me to walk across it free of charge and to have a so great salvation that I can't lose. Now, what religion tells you that you can do nothing and be saved once and for all time. What religion tells you that? None of them. None of them. Every one of them is you got it, you got to fest. You got it, you got it, you got it. And you say, well, if I do all that, am I saved once and for all time? Well, no, let's, no, no, no. So, this is one of those moments when you just reflect and think God came out of heaven. God the Son came out of heaven, humiliated himself, was treated like dirt for 33 years, died the worst death in human history, all for you, so that you could have a bridge to eternal life. Thinking about the cross brings us joy and sorrow, though. We're joyful because of the benefits we have received from his sacrifice at the cross, but we're sorrowful that he had to experience the most humiliating death in human history to accomplish our so great salvation. Writer and poet Khalil Gibran, best known as the author of The Prophet, had this to say about joy and sorrow. Then a woman said, speak to us of joy and sorrow. And he answered, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the selfsame well from which your laughter rises was oft times filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? And is not the lute that soothes your spirit wood that was hollowed with knives? When you're joyous, look deep into your heart and you'll find that which is giving you sorrow is giving you joy. When you are sorrowful, look again into your heart, and you'll see 
that you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Some of you say, joy is greater than sorrow. Others say, nay, nay, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come, and when one sits alone with you at your board, remember that the other is asleep on your bed. You are suspended like scales between sorrow and joy. The Lord's Supper is a commemoration of the most painful, most sinful, most sorrowful act in the history of the world. Yet in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord encourages us to keep on fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. The cross was sorrowful for Jesus because he was concerned for those who were crucifying him. Luke chapter 23, verse 34 says this, As he hung from the cross, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As Christians, we're joyful because we have eternal life and a guarantee of future glory from Christ's work at the cross. Yet we're sorrowful because there are many whom we love who are unbelievers. They have chosen the broad road that leads to destruction, eternity in the lake of fire. They believe in a counterfeit Jesus instead of the narrow way that leads to the resurrection life, the real Jesus. As we remember the Lord during the Lord's Supper celebration, let's remember that we experience both sides of a coin. On the one side, joy. On the other side, sorrow. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Now may the God and Father of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of God the Holy Spirit. When we are sorrowful, The Lord reminds us in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When we are sorrowful, perhaps because we're being persecuted, the Lord's half-brother encourages us in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We are grateful for the Lord's work on the cross. It's our pleasure to take time to remember him. And as we experience the joys and the sorrows of life, we are most joyful because of the Lord's promise in Psalm 46.1. He says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Let's remember so we don't forget. Well, let's enjoy the elements, bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember him. We will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28 tell us the reason the Lord wants us to celebrate this meal together. While the apostles were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, 
he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And when Jesus had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, the blood of a new testament, my blood poured out for whosoever for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died as our sin substitute. Jesus is risen from the dead to prove his deity. Jesus Christ will come again to gather his believers unto himself. Jesus forgives us once and for all time through his work on the cross. And we celebrate. And we are grateful. So we look to the cross. We're joyful. We look to the cross. We're sorrowful. But enjoy the elements as we listen to June Murphy remind us what James was saying. Count it all joy. Testing of your faith is worthwhile. It can produce in you patience when you're God's obedient child. When you fall into various trials, count it all joy. Count it all
I like messing around with June. I called her uh, this week mocking her about this song. Because <laughs> when you're going through tribulation, you definitely don't want to count it all joy. Amen? But that's exactly what we need to be doing, counting it all joy. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today could be the ten most important minutes of your life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you and from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. Everyone listening to this message should know that the Lord Jesus Christ is your creator. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 says this, The one who does not love unconditionally doesn't know the Lord, for the Lord is unconditional love in his very being. So if you think that those things are true, then you have to conclude there's no reason for you to end up in the lake of fire, commonly referred to as hell, when you close your eyes in this life. To go to heaven, you have to choose a relationship with Christ. God considers you to be a sinner from the moment of salvation. I'm sorry, a sinner from the moment of your physical birth. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, which says this, you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead sinners need a Savior. Let me repeat that. Spiritually dead sinners need a Savior. The Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord sent this message to you, the gospel message, which is the good news about his salvation offer, because he wants a relationship with you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is something the Lord doesn't want for you as well. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow, about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You will go to the lake of fire at physical death if you choose not to believe in Jesus Christ. To make a place for you in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ forgives all your sins. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 says this, I, even I, the Lord, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The Apostle Paul describes the God who saves you, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4, he says, I Paul delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, for, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. You don't have to work to be saved. 
In fact, you can't work to be saved. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this, If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it's no longer based on your works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. This loving, forgiving, patient God offers you the chance to be saved as a free gift. And he wants to save you right this minute. Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts 16.31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God. You and everyone in your household who also believes. So heed the warning and accept the invitation of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. The Lord warns those who reject his salvation offer in Matthew 25, 41. Then the Lord Jesus Christ will say to those on his left, the unbelievers, Depart from me, accursed ones into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Believe me, you never want to hear those words. When you get to know Jesus Christ, you'll have no problem investing your faith in him, both for your salvation and for everything else. Why? Because you'll know that the sovereign God of the universe wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He died for you. So take advantage of his grace and choose to be saved right now. Well, let's close with music. When we bear each other's burdens with gentleness, we demonstrate the unconditional love of our Lord. We take pleasure in knowing that the Lord loves us like he wants us to love, unconditionally. Here's June Murphy to sing one of the best songs ever written. And she wrote it, sung from God's perspective. When I say I love you.
Almighty God and Father, thank you for enlightening us about your viewpoint concerning how we ought to support pastors financially. Use this message to change the hearts of those who so sparingly. Open their spiritual eyes so that they can see what you do with financial blessings, both for the giver and for the receiver. 
Teach us to be generous. Help us to give and not to count the cost. Help us to recognize through faith in your promises that we always receive more than we give because that's just the way you work. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Discussing the lesson in prayer circle is next. Join us live or on Zoom immediately following this lesson. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor, but you won't because all year nobody has asked the pastor a single thing in an email at pastoratbroadministries.com. Oh, well, maybe one or two, but why? Because I think that people are afraid that I'm going to judge them. Okay, well, I am going to judge you, right? So, what's the big deal? <laughs> I'm not going to judge you. What's, but what's the big deal if I did? Look, just ask. That's what God wants you to do. Just ask. Stop worrying. Start living. And keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.